I am excited. I really am excited. I'm going to, um, for those of you who uh, are new, if this is your first time, welcome. I really do mean that. Welcome to our community hangout. Someone will buy your coffee afterwards. Um, but this morning, I, I am very excited because we have been attempting to do this for a little over two and a half years now. We have tried and tried and tried. And finally, we are at the place that we um, have wanted to be for a while. And can I tell you that sometimes when we operate with God, our time is not the same as His time. Our brilliant plans that we think we've concocted together and really well thought out and measured two or three times and we're ready to cut, Lord says, you're not even close. You don't even have the right material firstly. So go back to the drawing board. Let's start again. So we have been to the drawing board a few times um, with this, but I just want to take some time to explain. We are going to pray some leaders on at the end of, of this message. And I know that we can just think, well, it's not a big deal. Let's just pray them on and move on. But for us, this is a very big deal. It's something that we have carried in our heart for quite a while and we have labored with God, asking for people to, to come and to build with us, to come and be a part of what we believe He has asked us to do. Because whether it seems like it or not, we really do believe in the vision that He's given us. We really do stand at a place where I, I believe with all that I am that what He's asked us to do, we can do our little bit for the kingdom. And this moment is is challenging for us but exciting for us we have walked a long journey to to get to a place where we feel like god has released us to do this but i want to i want to just take some time to go through how we're doing this and how we're stepping into to leadership and and what leadership is and isn't um so i am going to use some slides you oh sorry can i Edie? can you put my that's all right that's all right that's all right It's okay. It doesn't need to be, it's not a play. We can, we can pause, we can wait. Yes. All right. <laughs> we go, we're close. At least we got slides, that's good. Here we go, woo! All right, for those of you who weren't here, you can go and hear the last two uh, weeks that we've done um, on... Katrina, my clicker doesn't work. No, it's not. It's okay. While we while we work on it, I love how many IT people are just making stuff happen. It's fantastic. <laughs> Did I not turn it on, Josh? Okay. While that happens in the background, there is a list of things that we there. There are many models of leadership. There are many that that we have have looked at, spent time in. This is a conversation that that. Um, we have been in for a long time with, um, I mean, when I first came to the Gold Coast and I, I joined Crossing Point with Brad and we, we have been chatting about these. Thank you. Cat. Yes, Kat. Josh, Kat, Edie, everybody still in stuff. So we, we have been discussing these things. I have sat in many, many meetings where we've looked at many different things on whiteboards. We've seen all kinds of shapes and all kinds of things drawn out, put together, moved around. And we spent a lot of time asking God, Lord, what is the pattern? And 
I'm going to explain some that I don't think that it is. And before you jump to a conclusion to say, well, these guys do this, so therefore you saying they're wrong. No, I'm not stepping into that place to pull apart other ministries or, or other people. All I'm saying is that this is the model we believe God has called us to. I believe this is what I can see in Scripture. And as a leader, I have to stand on what God has revealed to me and operate the way I think He's called us to operate. Now, that doesn't mean that, that everyone else, if they choose to do it differently, is wrong. People are, are doing what they believe God hear them say. And I've, I've said from, from the very beginning of us leading, the easiest thing we can do to live in Christ is to hear what He says and do that exactly. Hear what Jesus says to us, hear what God reveals and do it with all that we have. There will be times we will be wrong and if we're wrong, I will come back to this beautiful wine barrel and I will ask for your forgiveness and we will redesign, we will reshape. This is what we believe God has led us into. So, thank you, Kat. There is a few different models that we see. So I'm going to show you all three of them at the same time. Your brain will start ticking over, but I want to reveal them as we go. So the first one that we see typically in churches, but not just in churches, we see this in businesses, we see this in sporting teams, we see this across the board. But the first one that we see is a, is a monarchy, or as you can see in that first triangle, a top-down model. What this is, is that there's one person at the top, and it's it's... It's ride or die on that person. Everything goes back to that person. It's all through them. If, it, if it's successful, it's successful unto them. If, if it's a failure, it's everybody else's fault, right? You could have laughed. It's okay that you didn't. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Thank you for that awkward laugh, Dave. You're, you're all thinking too hard because there's too many fancy shapes up there. But the problem that I see with this is that often what happens in this style of leadership where it's all Ben and Jess and everything comes to Ben and Jess, everything is through us, there's only, is that everyone else tries to fit into the gift mix of the person who's at the top. Everyone else tries to look like that person. Everyone else tries to make sure they're feeling okay, make sure that they are happening what's happening because then they will get the pat on the back that they deserve. The problem that I see with this, the major problem is the rhetoric that we see Jesus and Paul preach. Right? Jesus and Paul, both of them position themselves as a servant. Right? Jesus, in, in Matthew 26, 28, he says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that they would be your slave. This, Jesus paints this picture of, of serving one to another, regardless of a title, regardless of what badge we wear in our shirt or what cap we wear. And you know, when you look over some, some amazingly well-structured and successful businesses, they are the hardest working, hardest serving guys on the ground. The businesses we tend to see that, that fall over and they adopt a model of servant leadership. A guy coined it, and he's well-known in the business realm for servant leadership. He stole it from somebody else, Jesus. But I don't know that he quotes Jesus. But the reality is, is that the model that God gave us, the very thing that Jesus positioned, was that we would serve one another, that we would live one to another, that I would lay down my life for Josh to give all that I am. 
So when I see the, the top down, sort of everyone else is subordinate under the top guy, I start to get challenged that I, I've prayed many a times, Lord, please don't let that be me. Because it must be real hard to be served like that and not think of yourself as some sort of almighty deity. To not think of yourself as some sort of top-notch wearing the hat. And I think we have seen that. Many leaders have fell because they thought that they were bigger than Ben-Hur. They thought that they were the guy because this model produced that. Everyone came to them. Everyone served them. Everyone made sure their air conditioning was at a particular temperature in the car and they only had the red M&Ms or the green M&Ms. What we position there is a leadership style that is bound to fall because it's founded in the world. It's founded not in Jesus. God served and operated as a servant from the moment he walked the earth. He's asking all of us to do the same, church leader or not, business leader or not, wealthy or not. He's asking us to operate. Does that make sense? The next one you see is an upside down version of that where, I've got a little point, look at this, yes, where this part leads and guides the rest of it. So what we see typically in a church setting is that the congregation votes for the church to operate a particular way. And the thing that I see so hurtful and so painful for this is that God can call men and women, gifted men and women, to come and lead churches. And I've seen this many times. And they come into the place and then they get voted out because they tried to change the curtains from the old teal color to a classic gray. And it breaks my heart that that guy gets stepped down from ministry, from doing the call that God put on his life, from leading people into the kingdom and into Jesus because he, he tried to petition to get the blinds changed. Or even worse was that he preached a, a message that was too hard to swallow. Or he spoke about sin in a way that was too harsh for people to understand. Or he dealt with matters of the flesh in ways that were too confronting for people to want to change. And particularly in the West, we want our comforts. So if a man stands at what typically isn't a barrel, but as a pulpit, and says we must become uncomfortable in order to position ourselves deeper in God, the church puts their hand up and say, we are voting that guy out. Can I tell you, not once when I prepare a sermon do I think through, is everyone going to be okay with this? I never pray that. That might be terrible, but I never pray that. I ask God this, Lord, please, let me project exactly what you're asking me to. And I know a lot of you know my heart, and we've had people leave because they don't believe that the message was, it was too, too soft or too hard or too this or too that. What God has called us to do, I will stand with all that I am with the conviction in my heart and present it to you. And if that means you leave, I'm so sorry. But I don't know what to tell you. If you're willing to build with us, we will build in that direction. I know that sounds harsh, but this model to me is so damaging because so many good leaders have, have been positioned where they say, I can't do this anymore. And I want you to consider this. Imagine if this model was in place when Moses led the, led the Israelites out of Egypt. They tried to ask Moses, can we go back? He would have been voted out in a blink of an eye. But there wasn't a voting system. Moses said, if you want to go back, you've got two feet and a heartbeat, off you go. But this is where we're going. We're going to the promised land that God has given us. The other one that you can see is Jesus. Imagine if Jesus operated from this perspective, where he allowed 
where he allowed the scribes and the Pharisees to vote him out. He was bringing a challenging, confronting, confronting message. But he stood on the conviction God asked him to stand on. He stood from a position where he said, this is not a democracy. We do not vote. We ask what God's revealing, and when he reveals, we do what he says. Does that make sense? Getting less mms, but that's exciting. That means more, more of us are thinking. The last one, the anarchy model. We have seen this projected more and more and more and more in our societies. And I think and I, I, I am asking God, please let this be stopped before it enters the church, before it enters the body. Because we are already seeing the breakdown of, of gender, the breakdown of, of rules in society, the breakdown of what's okay and what's not okay. And it's on the guise of this level, this egalitarian anarchy system. It's the plan of the enemy. Egalitarian is a word that, we, that, that simply means equal, that everybody is equal. And what happens when you do that and you bring everybody down to equal is there is no bottom line. There is no rule to follow. There is no guidance. There is no wisdom because you can't tell me what to do because I'm the same as you. For all of you who are parents, would you imagine instilling this in your houses? Everyone's equal. That's what we're trying to do in our society. That's what we're trying to do in the church is that everyone gets to play on the same level playing field. So then how do we go anywhere? Right? Mum comes down for, for breakfast and it's just all kinds of things going on in the kitchen. Oh, well, you guys are you doing what you want to do. You do you and I'll do me over here. No, there's a time to stand and lead, but it's to be led well. Mums need to be mums. Dads need to be dads. It's not everyone just fend for themselves and we'll get to the end and hope we're all good. God has put in place hierarchy. We see it all through the scripture. Kingdom, well-placed hierarchy. If we allow this to enter the church, if we honestly let this worldly system take place in the house, we will lose where we're going. We will wander the desert for another 40 years. We will go back to Babylon. We will go around and around and around. So if not any one of these, what has God given us? What is the model that he has laid before us? If you've got a Bible, go with me to 1 Corinthians 12. Does that, did that all make sense? I don't want to camp there. I want to keep moving because I want to take some time to explain this next part and then, great. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 to 31. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you still a more excellent way. The reason I'm reading this is that the first two parts, the apostles, prophets, is not first in... in um, 
closeness to God, not first in distance from God, but first in, in the way that it operates as the gift. So God uses, if I can explain it like this, a funnel that funnels from heaven to earth that brings through the gifts in the way that he has, in, he has built them to be. The gift of an apostle is to carry the image an apostle would go into um, a city, let's, let's say that uh, there's a new Caesar um, and they've taken a new city. The apostle would first go in and they would establish what it looked like in that city. They would bring the culture of Rome. They would bring all of the things Roman into that place and they would release it into that city. The reason God sends first apostles is because they go into a nation and they re- release the kingdom in that place. So if there was no uh, Christianity on the Gold Coast, an apostle would come, they would establish a Christianity, they would establish the kingdom of heaven, and then the other gifts, as is listed, would work that out. The way I see this happening in the church, what I see from this uh, uh, apostle-prophet model looks to me like this. Uh Uh-oh, fixed it. It looks to me like this, that the the triangle, if you will, to keep hold of the the triangle picture because we like it, is to turn it on its side. That if you were to go back and ask all those other models, what's first? They would all say Jesus, right? We understand that fundamentally, that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. He's the rock in which we build. So all of them would put Jesus at the top. But the problem for me is what does that look like when we actually start to outwork that in the house? What does it really mean to, to submit ourselves to Christ? But then I believe he's established this biblically. That first it is established on Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, as the rock, the foundation by which we build. To then elders and overseers, to deacons, into the saints, out into the world. That the idea of this model, the idea of this model is to get Jesus here into the world. And this in the middle is the co-laboring in which he asks us to operate. The reason that we gather as saints, and I spoke about this a few weeks ago, is because we come together to worship and glorify his name and to legislate against the powers of darkness, to come and do what Jesus asked us to do at Caesarea Philippi and to push back the gates of hell. So what this model does is the in-between is the co-laboring with Christ to get him to the world, to get him out into the place. So Ben, does that mean that In order to get to Jesus, I have to be a saint, go through the deacons, into the elders and overseers, and to Jesus. No, that's not what it means. Because it looks more like this, that Jesus goes to each one of those places. Jesus doesn't need the elders of a church to preach himself, to reveal himself to the world. But he co-labors with them because he enjoys to partner with them in the mission that he's called them to. He doesn't need the saints. It says that if we won't cry out, even the rocks will cry out. God does not need the saints to reveal his name and his kingdom to the world. Yet he wants to use us because he enjoys to co-labor with his children. Does that make sense? The reason that we get to be a part of this is it's not, I have to go to church. I have to be a part of the church. I get to be a co-labor, a part of the church, a part of the body. That's an honor for me to be able to do that. 
When I go out into the world, when I go and play golf or when I go and, and catch up with friends that aren't saved, it's not, oh, I have to be a Christian while I'm here. It's I get to co-labor with Jesus to fulfill this going all the way into the world. That's a, an honor and a joy and a delight for me. It's not a I have to. Does that make sense? So I'm going to break these two down very quickly so that we can keep moving and I can get the guys forward to pray them in. But I just want you to understand that, that this is not a system where one is at the top and all rules, that there is a team who lead and guide us through into what God has for us. So why do I need that? Why can't I just go and do it on my own? Because the Bible is very clear that when we operate with a multitude, that there is wisdom in the way that we stand together. It is wise for us to operate with each other. Does it have to look like Sunday morning in the building? No, it doesn't. Does it ha- can it look like my, my uh, saved work friends getting together before we start work and praying and declaring the kingdom? Yes, and it should look like that. Can it look like me bringing my non-Christian friends in? Yes, it should. But the question always is how and who are you walking with to ensure that you are staying the place God has you? I tell you, it's really hard to be challenged by somebody else. Are you being who God's calling you to be? I have to do that. Jess has to do that. Josh has to do that. Tim has to do that. We all have to do that. We have to bring people around our lives to challenge us, to grow us, to sharpen us. Because when we look straight ahead, we don't see the blinders that we carry. and We feel like we're all good. We got it sorted. But oftentimes we miss glaring problems. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat with someone where I'm like, can't you see this? They're like, no, I didn't know that was going to be an issue. I'm like, it's, it's this big. Yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah, because my eyes were fixed. I couldn't see the blinders. That's why we walk with those who are around us to keep us, on, to keep us where we're going, to keep us where God's called us to be. All can reach the king and the king can reach all. But there is a flow and a structure that allows it to move succinctly from, from our own little group here out into the world. I've said this many times, and it's the, the, the mandate that we, we believe God has given us. Um, well, I believe God has given the church, right? To go into all the world. Oh, it's broken. To go into all the world. Point that way. There we go. To love God, love your neighbor, expand the kingdom and make disciples. That there's a simplicity in what the mandate given from heaven all the way through to Revelation is. The simplicity of being a Christian and to follow Jesus is to live like this, to love God, to love your neighbor, to expand the kingdom and to make disciples. The reason we do what we do in this place is to build a a, a training ground, if you will, a place to strengthen each other, to worship, to glorify. God, to hear what he's saying, to stand with somebody, to say, what, what are you hearing God say? This is what I'm hearing him say, so that we can go and operate in all the world. Does that make sense? Does anyone have a question? Is anyone like bamboos on you just sitting there because you hope I finish soon? No? No one has a question? Shawnee, toss it. Oh. <laughs> I'll take that, Sean. I'll take that right on the old chin again. Hey? I set you up with a lob just there and got spiked. 
All right, I'm going to go through and explain what the two are because there's a, probably a wondering, okay, well, what is an elder and overseer? What is a deacon? What are the saints, right? And I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on elders. I just want, want to highlight a few things that we see so that we can move on to deacons because I, 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 want, to, I want to pray guys on this morning and I, don't, I, I want to take some time in that. But very simply, I just want to explain this. Our move forward is not for Jess and I to be only two elders or overseers in this house. We have spent long time in prayer, many tears, um, many, many fist shakes at God, but we are asking for him to send somebody to come and build with us as, as elders and overseers. We are asking him to reveal somebody in this community that we can, we can stand with in this role where the weight can be shifted, can be carried by the two of us. We're asking Lord, the Lord to reveal that to us. The problem is he just hasn't. So we just keep keep crunching along. And the reason that I don't just go and grab somebody and start training them through is that we truly believe that this role, if not done in the spirit, will end terribly. That if this is done in the flesh, if the call is made because we just desperately want somebody and we step in in the flesh, it just creates more mess than it will any gold or anything that we want to walk out of. So we are asking and diligently seeking God, praying and waiting, but eventually we will bring one, two, three, four, five, however many God continues to reveal onto this team of elders and, and, and overseers. But at the moment, there is just Jess and I. But we do really believe too in that, that there is a clear distinction between a, a team of, of elders and a team of deacons, but also that there is a visionary elder on that team, that there is a, a first among equals, if you will, or a captain like on a sporting team where God is, is allowing that to be, to be outworked through. Mike Eltringham, who some of you would have known, did this beautifully. He was the first among equals. He was the captain of the team, and he led um, a team of misfits, if you will. <laughs> misfits is right, eh? Close enough. A team of guys who were incredible, and he brought them together. They carried different gifts. They operated in different spaces. But that word... Um, elder there. The reason that I have said to you guys many times I don't like being called a pastor is because I don't believe we see the word pastor used by Paul to either Timothy or Titus. He uses two words. The first is the word elder where we, where we see the word presbyteros, which means wisdom, senior, eldest or older. It also means a member of the celestial council, which we won't get into, but it's very interesting for those of you Bible nerds like me <laughs> who like the words. The other word we see is episcope, and it means to oversee. It means to, to inspect for relief, to be a superintendent, to be a bishop, or to, to, to be a visitor or a visitation. And the reason that I don't like the word pastor is that we take one of the words from Ephesians 4 that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says there are fivefold gifts, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. We, we take one of those out that we liked the most, and we made them the leader of a church. And the difficulty in that is that if I don't carry the fivefold gifts of a, of a pastor, and all you guys expect me to operate in that, what it does either quickly or slowly is burn leaders out to where they end up throwing in the towel. I don't know that I carry the gift of a pastor. Some of you would say that I do. Some of you would not be not sure either. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay not being called pastor. 
but there is an authority that God has given Jess and I to stand as an elder or an overseer in this house. That's the authority that we carry and that's the authority by which we outwork the leadership of this house. I'm also not offended if you call me a pastor. Some do, people do, and it's okay. It doesn't upset me. I don't break down. But the reason that I'm challenging that language is I don't want leaders to get caught in a place they're never meant to be. If there's a prophetic leader, which I've seen before, they, they just don't have the gift to pastor. So when you keep calling them pastor and you're expecting them to sit with you, they don't carry that gift. And the problem with that is what we see is what we see in, in, in Romans, where it says, in Romans 12, 6, where it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Jess and I don't carry, necessarily carry, the typical box gift of a leader, of, an, of a pastor of a church, and that's okay. These guys we're going to bring on in a minute, they are not going to fit your understanding or your idea of what they should look like. They submit to God. They then submit to the leaders, to the elders. But the, the difference is, is that we want in our heads, we know what we want the church to look like. We know what we want Sunday morning to look like. And we come in with that expectation and we get upset when it doesn't look like that. The problem with that is that how can we change and grow and equip if everyone's all thinking what it should look like? Does that make sense? If we say this is what it should look like on Sunday morning, on Thursday night, on, on Wednesday afternoon, this is what the gathering of the saints should look like, we can't ever move into new territory because the leaders trying to take people in the new territory get shut down at every turn. God is bringing about a new era, a new season, whatever fancy word you want to put in that. There is a shift being moved in leaders in the house and outside of the house. And we have to be open to where he's leading us and calling us to be. Does that make sense? Elders, moving through into deacons. If you've got a Bible, jump with, to Acts 6 with me. Is it me or is it warm in here? No? I'm sweating bullets. Acts 6, chapter 1. It says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, Hellenists was just a Jewish follower of Christ, a, a Christian convert among the Jews. So they were, they were Jews and then they, they converted to Christ. Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the wisdom, uh, sorry, full of the spirit and of the wisdom. Um, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paramenus, and Nicholas, a, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied 
multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I love that in this it says the word of God continued to increase. It speaks about their number, but the first thing that Paul reveals in this, the first thing that he says is that the depth of Christ increased. One of the things that that Jess and I have been talking about and the reason we've been wanting to do this for so long is that bringing people onto this team, bringing people on to step into the place of deacon, that word there that you see um, that they're being brought into is they're being brought in as deacons. And I'm going to explain what that word means in a minute. But the reason this has been such a challenge for us but is so important to us is that I want to see the word increase in this community and in each and every one of your spheres. And in order to do that, Jess and I need to bring help in to help us navigate the day-to-day so that we can continue on in the things God's asking. Not to say that the, the, the role that we're going to do is bigger and more important. It's to say that we don't have enough ability to do all the things. So we're bringing someone in to help us do the things so that, firstly, the word can increase. It speaks about number, and I'm sure we can go and, and, and say all the things that, that, that there will be increased. But I believe so greatly that when we do this today, that there is a strike in the ground, there is a, a peg in the ground that allows us to go deeper into the things God's called us into. That there will also be increase, as it says here in number, there will be a, a multiplication of, of both word and, and disciples. But the exciting thing is that we can start to step deeper and deeper into what God has for us in that. There's three words that get used for the word deacon, diakonos, diakonia, and di- diakonio. And they're across the board, across the New Testament, they get used some 90 times. And it means, sim- simply means the, a variety of things, but all around the same area. It means a servant of the people, a waiter, an attendant, a servant or minister, a service of ministry to the people and to serve the people to attend the act of serving. It literally means to be a servant in the house, to serve the people, to serve God in a manner by which he is called. There's an author by the name of Kevin Connor. He wrote a book called The Church of the New Testament. And I'm going to quote him a little bit. But he says this, The word is used in an unofficial sense of a household servant and of the many ways that people minister and serve one another. And it is used in an unofficial sense of those appointed specifically to the church office of a deacon. When Jesus says that it's the great among us who serve, he is calling these to serve in a greater way. All of us, every single one of us who are a saint in God, saved and founded in Christ, are to be servants. We are to live our life in service to another. Those who are first shall be last, and those who are last shall be first. God is calling us to lay down our lives for each other. But there is something that he does in this moment where he brings upon an anointing and a calling to deepen those who are walking in Acts, to come and help support the mission and the call. We're going to call forth two couples this morning, Sean and Coco and Dave and Cherie, and we're going to ask them to come and to stand with us so that we can pray them on. But I want to make it really clear as to what we're asking them to do, because the exciting thing for you guys is, yes, I don't have to do anything because they're going to do it, but that's not the case. Yes, I don't have to serve in the house because they're going to do it. I get to come back, I get to relax, I get to chill out. That's not the case. 
The case is that they are coming to help us continue what has already been built so that more we can build, so that more can come, so that we can expand the tent pegs by which God's given us. The ministry of a deacon is clear in Scripture. They are at the church in Jerusalem in Acts, uh, which is in Acts 6. They were at the church in Philippi, which is Philippians 1. They were at the church in Ephesus in 1 Timothy. They all had the ministry of deacons. But their authority is not one that sets government or doctrine. They do not hire or fire the eldership or the leadership of the community, nor do they control the finances of the community. The government and direction of the community belongs to the elders, but they come to serve the, the people and the vision. Does that make sense? Small nod, that's all I need. I know there's a lot here, and I'm sorry that it's um, so deep. But what I need to do, and what I want to establish this morning, is that this is how we are building. This is the ground we are taking. This is where we are going. So that as we take steps moving forward, as we begin to grow, as we begin to see God widen our boundaries, as we begin to see more um, spheres of influence reach with the kingdom, as, as we all go into our spheres, we can see that, that there is things being taken and God is, is governing and expanding us. The measure of the authority is delegated and limited. The measure of their responsibility is the measure of the authority which was given to them by the eldership. That's Kevin J. Connor. The gift these guys carry, how they operate will differ from person to person. Some of them will invite you to their home. Some of them will exhort you. Some of them will comfort you. Some of them will encourage you. Some of them will give you the challenging words to upgrow. It's not one box fits all. Some of them will come and be at your bedside in hospital. Some of them will be praying for you earnestly with the door closed. We cannot box in who these guys are and make them fit to our Western understanding of a church deacon. We have to allow God to expand and reveal who they are. As we build with them, their gift will begin to be more and more revealed, deeper and deeper. Various deacons will have differing graces and gifts which need to be discovered and used accordingly for the needs of the body of Christ. That's that um, Kevin Connor reading from Romans 12 where it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. They are not your personal slaves. They are not guys that will do all your bidding, that will ensure that you've got a coffee made when you come through the door, that you've got your little park out the front. That's not what they're here to do. They are to earnestly desire God in your life. They are to help you see the kingdom around you. They are to help you make God bigger in your life. They are to help and to walk you through the journey that I believe they are already walking and already deeply down. Does that make sense? Just quickly going back to this, I'm going to show you something. Oh, sorry, Kat. Broke the rules. With these models, what we've seen in the past, if the deacons are here, they do not get to dictate to you, but you don't get to dictate to them. Right? Everything we do is in service to Christ. Everything we do is in who He is. Paul says that I will give you these things and I'll show you even greater still. That greater still is the love of God. We operate always from the place of love. But the word, the root word diokono means to press forward. And what I'm asking these guys to do is to come and to, to press forward with us, to help us move the community in the direction that we feel God moving us. Does that make sense? Fantastic. Karina's excited. She's edgy. 
Before I get them up, I just want to read through what we see in Scripture for two types of qualifications that we believe these guys carry. We have walked with them through this. We have sat with them. We have met with them. We have, have watched these things develop and grow in their life. They're not, they haven't arrived at these things, but they have left and they are walking. But the spiritual qualifications are that, are that they are born again of the Spirit, John 3, 1 to 5. That they are water baptized, Acts 2, 38. That they are fire baptized and continually filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 6 to 3. They hold the ministry of faith and act with a clear conscience before man and God, 1 Timothy. That they are full of wisdom, Acts 6, and full of faith, Acts 6. The character qualifications are that they are vulnerable, reverent, dignified, sincere in spirit, and serious minded. From Titus and Timothy, not double tongued. They must not be given to gossip, saying one thing to one person and one to another. Not be given to much wine or given to excess. Not be greedy or covetous. Not be blameless with, being, uh, with nothing to accuse and, beyond, be, and be beyond approach. They must be of honest report and people should speak of them with good manner. And with, with good manner. They must not be position seekers but rather led by humility. And they must not be self-serving and or lazy but are diligent and take initiative. For both Sean and Coco and Dave and Cherie, we have watched them in this house over the last three years serve and honour this house incredibly. Most of you, all of you would contest that, that they have served and worked and built this house. And this has not been dangled before them. This has not been something that we've said, if you do this, then we will bring you into a place. They are being brought into this place by God because of how they've already acted, who they already are. When we sat down with them, they said, so what changes? I said, nothing. Just keep being you. You're already operating as a deacon. We just want to bring you before the house to lay hands on you, to honor you and to pray you into that position so that the authority may be shifted to you for you to continue to act in that space. So what I want to do is I'm going to ask them to come forward and we're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. But I want to ask all of you who call this place home, who are a part of this body, part of our community. I'd like you to come and lay hands on them because it's not just Jess and I who lay hands, but it's you guys who walk with them and they who walk with you. Similar to when, you, when you're at a, at a wedding and you, you ask that um, before your family and your friends because these guys are making a declaration before you that they will operate in who God's called them to be unto this house. So I want you to come and lay hands because we are in faith going to agree with the position God has given them and agree to walk with them and alongside them. Does that make sense? Sean and Coco, Dave and Shree, if you would like to come forth. <laughs>